This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Donny Osmond performs live at MGM National Harbor in Oxon Hill, Maryland this Wednesday night. I spoke to the pop legend about his early family career with One Bad Apple, the advice he got from Michael Jackson about pivoting to solo hits like Soldier of Love, and how co-hosting Donny and Marie TV shows helped launch Star Wars, Britney Spears, and Beyonce, not to mention winning Dancing with the Stars and almost winning The Masked Singer. Hey, Donny Osmond, hey, thanks so much for joining us on WTOP in Washington, D.C. My pleasure. This is really cool to talk with you. Uh, we should tell everybody the reason we're chatting is because you were coming to perform live at MGM National Harbor on August 2nd. So everybody should get their tickets. Uh, what can we expect from the show? I, is it going to be sort of greatest hits through, throughout all the years? I know there's so many iterations of, you know, uh, the Oscars. You know, Jason, that is the perfect question to ask because uh, this is pretty much the ultimate show I've ever put together. This is my show, uh, my residency show in Las Vegas. And I decided, you know, people don't just want to come to a concert. They want an experience. So I put everything I've ever done in six decades of show business in one show. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's, there's a segment. You talk about the old hits and things like that. There's a segment I call the request segment. It's about, I don't know, 15 minutes long, 20 minutes long, however long it takes. I put every all 65 albums that I've done on the screen, and the audience can pick any song from any album I've ever done in my entire life, and we do it just like that. Wow. How do you remember all those lyrics, though? There have to be some it's that you flash tough, up man. on the screen. <laughs> Last night, somebody asked for a song, and uh, I was just outside Boston and uh, did a show there. Somebody asked for a song. Man, dude, I don't even remember recording it. <laughs> <laughs> but but the band knew it, they, so we got through it. It was it was funny, and it was exciting. We did Crazy Horses. You know, People always ask for the like 12th of Never, Go Away, Little Girl, things like that. Somebody last night wanted something from Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. It's that's such a fun segment to the show because it changes every night. I love it. That's and that's such a cool way to do it. Because yeah, like you're saying, when you've had so many hits over so many decades, like uh, that's it's almost like a let's do a Russian roulette, no jukebox uh, audience request. It's perfect. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. And, and I've got people all over the audience, up in the balcony, whatever, with microphones, so the whole the entire audience can participate in that segment. It's it's such a fun thing. There's one more segment um, out of all the things that I do in the show that really has become a fan favorite. I actually do a rap. And I came up with this idea when I put the Vegas residency together. And because I said, how am I going to fit six decades in one show? So I created this rap. It's about 10 minutes long. And everything I say in the rap, you actually see visually. And I go through six decades in 10 minutes. It's, it's pretty phenomenal. It's like, it's like data overload for 10 minutes. 
I love it. Well, similar to how you are trying to, you know, cram six decades of music into one show, let's try to do six decades of a career in one interview. <laughs> we'll do our best to hit the highlights. Okay. But I, all right. You, I know you were born in Utah in, in 1957, and your older brothers were sort of doing the Osmond Brothers thing starting in 62. Later, it would be just become just yeah. the Osmonds. Um, talk about sort of, I mean, the Jackson 5, I guess, came like right around that same time. Talk about why that was like such a big thing back then. People love seeing these, you know, family bands uh, on, on, on yeah. stage and on TV. Let's go back to 1960, I think it was two or three, when I made my debut. Uh, it was on the Andrew Williams show. Yeah. In fact, that's one of the segments, uh, night before last, I tell you, uh, I, I do a duet with Andy Williams on stage. Of course, his song was Moon River, right? And I've always done like a tribute to Andy and things like that. But this time I said, I want to actually sing with Andy. We actually do a duet. I, I found the highest quality video of him singing Moon River and we sing it together. It's really a cool moment. And our first show of this tour the place just stood up at the end, standing ovation. It went on and on and on. It was absolutely amazing. It's it's compelling. It's tear jerking. It's relevant. It's it's just amazing what happened a, a few nights ago when we started this thing. That's so cool. And what but, are you like but, age but look, five at that point? <laughs> I was yeah. So what I was, I was age five when that uh, took place. And there's highlights of all those things. But let's answer your question about the Jackson Five. I remember first time we met, I want to say it was around 71 or 72, something like that. Yeah, it must have been 71 because One Bed Apple had just hit. Okay. And um, we were performing at the Canadian National Exhibition up in Toronto. And the Jacksons flew in the day before their show because they performed the day after us. They came in to see our show. I wanted to stay so badly to watch their show, but we had a concert the next day in another city. I couldn't. But what I remember about that moment is during the show, um, I looked over to the to stage right, and there in the wings was Michael peeking it, peeking around the curtain, watching me on stage. Wow. It was such a cool moment, and in retrospect, it was you know a pretty significant moment. But what was really interesting about that whole encounter is that after the show, we all went back to the hotel. We were staying at the same hotel, and there was Joe and Catherine sitting on the sofa with my mom and dad. And then Marlon and Tito and Jackie, Jackie, all those guys with Alan, Wayne and Merrill, my brothers. But Donnie and Michael were nowhere to be found. Guess where we were? Where were Donnie and Michael? We, <laughs> we were we were in the, I remember, we're, we're like 13 years old at the time. Yeah. We're in the other room playing with toys. Wow. Now here's two kids, you know, having number one records at the time and uh, the contemporaries at the time. But all we wanted to do was just be kids. And we were playing with toys and laughing and, and just having a good time as two little 13-year-old teenagers. Wow. Yeah, getting to have yeah. A, child, a childhood that, that, you know, you never really got to have compared to other people, you know? Mm -hmm. Just want give me get play, really play with the toys. Um, yeah, wow. Really well, so, so Michael broke off, obviously, from the Jacksons and had, you know, king of pop career solo. Yes. But you you, uh, sort of, yeah. you you did same, you know, became a teen idol yourself. We're in all those Tiger Beat 16. No, magazine. no, Jason. <laughs> let, let, let's call it the way it is. He left me in the dust. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to be nice. His moon, his moonwalking no, shoes were just kicking the way dust it is, on dude. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the guy just went crazy. You know, he said something to me and because we've remained friends all throughout the years. And 
I went over to his house and we were talking. I said, because he played me Thriller before it came out. I was one of the first ones to hear it. He played a cassette in his his roles. And because uh, he had to go to, to some place, he gave me a ride. And he played it for me. And I said, Mike, this is going to be absolutely amazing. How do I get back on the charts? How do I do this as well? And he told me something, Jason, that just offended me. He said, Donnie, your name is Poison. You got to get your music out without your name. And it was so offensive at the time. Why? But what do you mean, Donnie or uh, Donnie or Osmond? What? What? What was? The, what did he mean? Donnie Osmond. Donnie Osmond's name was Poison because of the image and all that kind of stuff. As great as the Donnie Marie show was, it it really left me with this this cutesy goody goody image. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I and I couldn't get back on the charts because no record company would touch me. And he said, well, your name's your problem. So fast forward to 1989. That's when Soldier of Love came out. A huge hit. Guess how it became a hit? Without my name. Radio stations wanted to play it because the song was great. Everybody requested this, the record, but they were afraid to say that they were playing Donny Osmond music because my name wasn't cool at the time. And so... It's Michael like, we'll, was we'll play a partridge, right. a partridge family song or something. You know what I mean? You had to outgrow right, that, right. that image. Exactly, Jason. That's exactly right. So Michael was exactly right back in, I think he told me that in 1983. And uh, just before Thriller came out, I think that's when Thriller came out. And uh, that's exactly what happened. So Soldier of Love hit without my name. Everybody did me a favor, but just by playing the song. And then Sacred Emotion was the follow-up hit to that. Yeah. And then... I spent all these years working to get back on the charts and I make the most interesting left turn in my career. I go back to Broadway. I do theater and I do a show called Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Um, and I signed a six month contract and six years later, I finally say, I got to hang up this loincloth and do something else because <laughs> it, it was so successful. I said, no, let's get back to recording and, and, and do some other things that I want to do. Because uh, 10 years, almost to the month, Jason, 10 years before I did Joseph, I failed miserably on Broadway and a show called Little Johnny Jones. In fact, I talk about this in the rap that I do in my show <laughs> and because you got to look at the good and the bad. And, and that's what makes something very interesting. And that's what makes this this rap that I do on sh- in the show so compelling because it shows everything, the good and the bad and the indifferent. I love it. I love it. Um, I'm going to, uh, I have a couple of Broadway slash all of your, you know, TV competition shows and game shows questions uh, that I'd like to get to in a second. But let me double back really quick. I have to ask about the Osmonds TV Saturday morning cartoon. And oh, the, yes. Yeah. What was that like? It was a Rankin and Bass production. Do you it was think Rankin that helped, and Bass. Yeah. Did, did that just sort of like ingrain you in, in a whole generation of kids eating cereal watching? <laughs> watching? They know the Osmonds now. <laughs> <laughs> it's really true. In fact, uh, the Jacksons had uh, a cartoon show with us uh, as well. Right. Uh, as a matter of fact, what I do is um, I do one bad apple in my show. Mm-hmm. And I thought, how can we make this kind of unique? And my four male dancers, they dress, we all dress up in the, uh, you know, the 70s outfits and all that kind of stuff. But we actually show the cartoon on the huge screen behind us while we're doing one bad apple. It's, it's actually so funny. Uh, but it takes everybody back to 1971 when, when the cartoons were on and, and that apple became number one and, and the whole the whole thing started. 
Absolutely. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. Well, yeah, whole generational member on Bad Apple. but then And, and also yeah. all your other solo hits. Like you did Sweet and Innocent, which was a Roy Orbison. You did Go Away, Little Girl, which yeah. was Steve Lawrence. Puppy Love by Paul yep. Anka. Like all that stuff. That's right. Um, but tell me about when you, you know, how did, how did the brother-sister duo thing sort of pivot out of that? Because to the Donnie and Marie TV variety show from 76 to 79, like it's hard to, it's, it's almost hard to describe to kids nowadays how huge of a platform a variety show. Because now they're inundated with so many channels. But, you know, doing a variety, show with with the brother sister duo that was massive beyond kids comprehension today right well you know um i'm going to give you a number of, uh, i don't know if uh, your audience can understand what a share is sure but uh yeah so the donnie marie show i think that the highest share we got was like a 32 share that's super bowl numbers yeah so, i mean that's like huge a 32 share so uh i mean so well, somebody told me one time more people saw one episode of the Donnie and Marie show than the entire ticket sales of the movie Jaws. Wow. Seriously. Yeah. Just just one week. In fact, what's quite interesting, George Lucas, when he came out with Star Wars, I don't know if you know about this, a little bit of Star Wars trivia for you. I love it. You're you're Um, talking to our movie critic on this station too. So I'm game. Let's go, baby. (laughs) Okay. So George Lucas wrote this little script called Star Wars. He released it. I think it was in 76. 77 yeah okay 77 okay so released it around may of 77 and it hit the box office it did some great numbers but then it started petering off around that summer so george saw our numbers what the donnie marie show was getting and uh he allowed us to debut um darth vader chewbacca r2d2 and c3po we did a spoof on star wars for one of our finales of the Donnie and Marie show. So we debuted uh, Star Wars on television and it was right after the airing of that, the, star, the numbers of stars. Now, I, it sounds like I'm patting myself on the back here. I'm just giving you trivia statistics, okay? And But what happened after the airing of the Donnie and Marie show, Star Wars took off like crazy. Yeah. And George kind of attributes the, the Donnie and Marie show for a lot of that success. That is such a great story. And yes, though I will the way I frame it, I will not say Donny Osmond takes credit for stars, but I will no, say no, no, no. that no, the exposure no, of the show. No, yeah, yeah. No, Jason, I am gonna take credit. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to save you, but yeah, hell, let's go for it. Donny and Marie. That well, no, yeah, no, they, I'll they, take they, I'll take fifty. Y'all take 50% and I'll give Marie 50%. How's that? <laughs> I love it. So just, just <laughs> sorry, that, that's perfect. So, but, but seriously though, like, so while, while Carol Burnett sort of retroactively spoofed Gone with the Wind, the top grossing adjusted for inflation movie, uh, you guys yep. did the, the number two adjusted for inflation, Star Wars, but yours was in real time. You look at the trajectory of the sales wow. when the airing of the Donnie Marie show, and somebody did that and showed me and they said, oh my goodness, you've got to be kidding me. The, the trajectory of the success and sales of Star Wars really took off after the Donnie Marie show aired because it captured all the young kids. Wow. 
Well, I yeah. guess so. So then I guess when you did the Donnie Marie TV talk show in 98 through 2000, I guess we can just credit you for what? Lord of the Rings or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting. You bring that, that talk show up. We had so that we debuted Britney Spears on daytime television there. Uh, Christina Aguilera. I remember introducing uh, Beyonce um, when she was with Destiny. And and then her career just took off like crazy. I mean, we had so many great people on that show, and we only did it for two years. But boy, what we did in two years was was pretty impactful. Yeah, a daytime Emmy nomination for that too. I love I love this. So see, everyone knows how big of you know music stars you were on yourself, your own talent for song and dance. But what they what they're getting out of this interview is that you were sort of like kingmakers of all these movies and other musicians. It's great. <laughs> You introduced us to our pop culture of, of all these other. Yeah, people. there you go. Yeah, I'm I'm solely responsible. Yeah, right. Yeah. Sure, Jason. You're the <laughs> the gate the gatekeeper of pop culture. Um, I'll, well, I'll you... take the yes. I'll I'll take that uh, that <laughs> title. Hey, tell me about tell me about some of your Disney stuff because for for Mulan, the animated movie, you did you sang "I'll Make a Man Out of You" and then you you know then you played Gaston on in Broadway's Beauty and the Beast. Uh, memories of those, really quick. The Disney stuff. All right. Let's talk about Milan for a second. It's probably the most important uh, thing I ever recorded was I'll Make a Man Out of You. Because, you know, Puppy Love and Wombat Apple and all these things, these hits that I've had, they belong to a certain generation, okay? And eventually that generation will just go away and it'll be in the annals of the history of, uh, uh, of, of, music, of pop music. However, I'll Make a Man Out of You is going to belong to every generation because it's a Disney film. Not just a Disney film, but it's now considered to be one of the classic Disney films. And uh, I was just looking at some statistics. It gets 2 million streams a month, just mm -hmm. that song alone. And um, so, in fact, I do that in, in our, uh, Vegas, um, our Vegas production, and I'm bringing it to uh, MGM as well. We turn the theater into a Mulan experience. I have some of the most amazing dancers, and I got permission from Disney to use the film in this show and I made a specific uh, special edit for the production that we do. And we're doing the stick fight dancing right in front of Captain Shang behind me. And when I go into, let's get down to business, uh, it's very interesting to watch some of the reaction of people out in the audience because a lot of people don't know that I am Captain Shang in that mm -hmm. movie. Right. And maybe some people think, why is he doing a song for Mulan? And then they realize, hold on, Donnie is Captain Shang. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's what's so cool and why I wanted to have you on today, because like, you know, everyone knows your name. It's ubiquitous. But I, th I truly believe people forget just how many things you've been involved in. You know what I mean? So it's like a good reminder. Yeah. Yes, Mulan. Uh, yeah, everything. Um, well, you've well that, that's what this show does. I yeah. mean, the, the, that's what this show that I'm bringing to MGM actually does, because I was talking to somebody uh, the other day. They said uh, it's just absolutely means I saw your life flash before my eyes when I watched the watched the other uh, show but it, coincidentally I watched my own life flash before my eyes because I lived all of those experiences with you oh that's such a good way to put it um well you've yeah. been so generous with your time but uh but before we go I, I do want to ask about sort of that the the all you know and, and it spanned several decades at this point but like the the game shows and reality competition kind of era so like I know um you know you you hosted uh pyramid for a while carrying that you know legacy of Dick Clark now Michael Strahan but like a, a great great yeah. legacy of host with that you 
won season nine of Dancing with the Stars, and you were even a runner-up a couple years ago on uh, season one of The Masked Singer. Damn that T-Pain. Well, right? no, no, let, let, let's, let's take The Masked Singer one step further. Okay. I was the very first Masked Singer. <laughs> oh, you were the very first episode, you mean? I, I started that franchise, dude. Wow. I'll take credit for that one as well. <laughs> <laughs> the headline of this is, article is going to be Donny Osmond takes credit for everything. I'm just kidding. But, yeah, for uh, everything. Right, but so, you could. But no, you what's could. interesting, I, I almost won De- I almost won Mass Singer. T-Pain barely beat me out. I talked to the producers after the show was all over. Yeah. And they said, we can't give you numbers because that would be illegal. But let's just suffice it to say it was a hairline split as to who won. Mm. So, you know, they said it was just so close. But uh, T-Pain got it. And you know what? Good for him because the guy is an amazing singer. He's absolutely phenomenal. You know, I'm sure you've heard him without auto-tune. The guy has got the most amazing voice. So if I was to to, uh, become second runner-up to somebody, I'm glad it was T-Pain. Yes, and you were ahead of Gladys Knight. So that's not a bad gold, silver, bronze right there, baby. I knew it was Gladys. She's got the – and I've known Gladys for years because I didn't know who I was competing against. None of us knew. What was your costume again? Off. What was yours and hers? And I was. T-Pain's? I was the. I was a peacock. She was the bee, and T Pain was the monster. Right. Yeah. But you knew. You could tell it was her. All right. Oh yeah. I mean, we're standing next to each other at the very end. We did a production number, and I said, "Hi, Gladys." <laughs> she said, "Don't you say that." <laughs> <laughs> it's confirming without confirming. That's great. Exactly. Uh, Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, all right. Well, I, what, what's, what's next? I guess this show, um, I, I, you, I guess you retired the, the, the 11 year Vegas residency you were talking about, right? That ended like right before COVID, right? Um, that, that, that was with Marie, but now I have my own residency at Harris, oh, okay. which, uh, uh, I got to tell you something here. Now I'm going to sound like I'm bragging again. Okay. I do apologize it, it. You to all of your listeners. I apologize. I'm not that kind of guy, but I guess I am. It's not bragging but, if, you um, back, if you back it up, my friend. It's not bragging. I, I'm backing this up. We, you know, when you launch a show in show business, especially like in Las Vegas, um, you, you do your best and you throw everything against the wall and see if it sticks. And the same thing happened to me about almost three years ago when I launched my own residency. Who knows what's going to happen? But I surrounded myself with the best of the best in the business. And we produced this show and we got the award for best show. Uh, best production, best headliner. And dude, I recognize, and I just don't throw that, those titles out haphazardly because I, pl- I played Vegas all my life. You know how many shows are in Vegas, but to get the award for best show and best production um, is, is such a feather in my cap. And I, I appreciate it to no end because again, I know how difficult it is to get those awards because of the competition. So that's why I wanted to bring this show out on the road because I realized not everybody can come to Las Vegas. So I'm bringing Vegas to Oxen Hill. Absolutely. You will be, instead of having to go to a casino in Vegas, you can come to the MGM uh, casino at National Harbor there in Mar- It's Oxen Hill, like you mentioned, but it's, I mean, you can see DC. It's right across the, the, the river there. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody come on out and see Donnie Osmond, who who may have gotten left in the dust by Michael Jackson, but created <laughs> but launched the careers of of George Lucas, uh, Beyonce, Britney Spears, T-Pain. Well, I'm going to give you one last thing and we're going to end it on this. Yes. 
you remember Mike's song, Ben, the two of us need like no more. You know that song. Everybody knows that song. Yes. Jason, did you know that was written for me? Really? That was my song. And the reason I didn't record it is because I was on the road uh, touring with my brothers. And they they had to finish the movie. I think it was called Willard or something like that. It's about a rat. And uh, so they said, well, let's get this Michael Jackson kid. He's got a high voice. It became Michael's first number one solo record. Wow. But that song was my song. And I find, 40 years later, I finally decided to record my song. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll do it. Maybe I'll do it at the MGM when I come. You're talking about ben, the song Ben. Ben, that was my song. Wow. You were, you were yeah. supposed to be the killer rat. Who knew? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, see, you, hey, you good talking to you, man. Absolutely. You've given me so much gold, so many good stories that, you know, I didn't even know was going to come out of this interview. So thank you so much. Everybody, check out the one and only Donny Osmond at MGM National Harbor on August 2nd. Everybody get your tickets now. Hey, thanks so much. This was fun. Thanks, Jason. See you. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.